Good morning. Praise the Lord. Early Merry Christmas. Amen. Since we won't be gathered together on Christmas Day, uh, Merry Christmas. Amen. Uh, before we get started, just a few announcements very quickly. Uh, New Year's Eve service, uh, that's going to be January 31st. That's New Year's Eve, right? Okay. What did I say? Uh, I'm sure everyone is wrong and I'm right. December. I said December, right? <laughs> no, I'm wrong. All right. <laughs> December 31st. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve service. Amen. Uh, we are asking that everyone uh, participate in some way. Um, give a testimony, a favorite scripture, uh, something along those lines. Um, it will not be uh, aired online. Uh, it's just a service where we're going to gather together and, and celebrate the, the new year coming in. Amen. Uh, so uh, please have something ready for that. There will be a communion service that night. Uh, so also uh, be thinking and praying about that. And uh, we'll do a little vision casting. Uh, maybe a couple other things. There's going to be some finger food afterward. Um, so it should just be a relaxed uh, but worshipful time. Amen. Uh, so on that note, um, the service schedule moving forward, there's going to be uh, no service on Christmas Day. There'll be no service on New Year's Day. Uh, but everything else will kind of fall in after that. You guys have these uh, devotional booklets that we're going to start using for uh, Sunday morning, the, the Sunday school lesson in the first service. And um, it's organized a little bit uniquely maybe. Um, the organization is such that uh, it's, uh, it does, the lessons don't really build on themselves. Uh, and, and the reason I bring that up is because we probably won't be using every single lesson in there uh, for cancellations or uh, Lord leads us in a different direction that Sunday. But um, if we don't use this format on a particular Sunday, I still encourage you to go through the devotionals uh, of that lesson. Uh, they're, good, they're good devotionals, and it kind of keeps us as a church focused on the same, in the same direction. So uh, I, I think we're going to really enjoy this. I think I'm going to enjoy uh, teaching this. And uh, if you have any questions on that, please let me know. Uh, it's new to me too. I'm trying to read through it and, and kind of get familiar with the way they do things. But uh, in any case, I, th I think it's good and we're going to move forward with that. Amen. Let's all stand. So good to see everyone here today. Yes. We haven't passed them out yet. Okay. Um, if you want, I... Uh, thank you. The large print books came in. So, uh, if you want one, please raise your hand and uh, our usher will, will grab that for you. Amen. 
if you do have the the old one, uh, it'd be good if you could if you could let us have that back. We'll give you that. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but in any case, okay, does everyone have a, a booklet? Either the normal or the the large print. Okay. Awesome. Good. All right. Uh, let's pray for our service. <clears throat> I get on track and that the Lord will have His perfect way here in our midst today. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior, and I am so thankful for this opportunity that You've given us today to enter into the presence of our Creator, to enter into the presence of the omnipotent, almighty God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great and mighty God, the Almighty. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in You today. We worship and we praise You, Thou Most High God. Thank You, Lord, for all that You have in store for us here today. I pray, God, that You would minister to each and every need, that as a collective body, this church would bind together as one to enter into Your presence, to minister unto You today with our worship and with our praise and with our thanksgiving. Help us, Lord, as one body to receive all that You have for us today. Hallelujah, Jesus. And to reverence and to be in awe of the Lord our God today. To worship and to praise our Creator because He is worthy. Because He is altogether worthy to receive all worship and all praise, all glory and all honor. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You are the Almighty God and we worship You. You sit upon the throne all by Yourself. There is no God beside You. There is no Savior beside You. You rule and reign by Yourself. It is Your right hand that leads us and guides us. It is Your right hand that delivers and saves to the uttermost. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is Your decrees that go forth. It is Your Word that goes forth today. Thank You, Jesus, for the Word of God. Thank You, Jesus, for the Spirit of God, the earnest of our inheritance. I pray, Lord Jesus, above all else, that Your great and wondrous, Your glorious name would be glorified in our midst here today, that it would be lifted up and magnified, that we would submit ourselves wholly and completely unto the Lord our God today in every area of our lives. We worship and we praise You. Thank You, Jesus, for all that You have in store today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God, praise God, praise God. He's an awesome God. He's a glorious God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise today. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for entertaining His presence. You can be seated today. Today, we are going to be talking about worship. We're going to look at uh, the shepherds and the wise men. Not the shepherds we have with us today, necessarily, but uh, shepherds. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sheep herders. Matthew 2 and 11 says this. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him, speaking of the wise men. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Amen. When we think of worship, there are different things that come to different people's minds. Now, as apostolics, as, as Pentecostals, we have a particular uh, idea in mind when we think of a worship service or the idea or the act of worship. We think of a Pentecostal worship service. Jumping, shouting, dancing, loud music, drums. Uh, in a great big church, uh, in, uh, if you look at uh, online, Pentecostals of Alexandria, for example, uh, Sister Mickey Mangan, beautiful singing, beautiful worship. Uh, they, have, they have talent there. They have anointing there. It's a powerful worship service. Others might have different ideas. When I was a Lutheran, I would not have thought of that as worship. When I was a Lutheran, I thought of worship as sitting there, calm and collected, singing a hymn. When we got really crazy, and this was really crazy, this was on Easter Sunday, we would get nuts. Someone would play a trumpet during one song, and we would have uh, these... What kind of drums are they called? These really big, kind of, but really big. Maybe. Is that what they are? In any case, man, that was really cool for me. I thought that was, that was wow, that was powerful. They played that trumpet and rolled those drums. That was, that was incredible. Otherwise, it was a, a pipe organ. You guys know what I'm talking about, the huge pipe organs that are built into the side of the building, <clears throat> right next to the cornerstone. I mean, they're, they, sound, they, sound, they sound like church. They sound like uh, worship. And uh, others might have different ideas altogether. Maybe uh, a Gregorian chant. Some people might think of that as worship. Or maybe a choral arrangement, a great big choir. That's, for some people, their idea of worship. Others, maybe some of the younger generation, might think of a concert scenario, a Christian concert. Has anybody ever been to a Christian concert of any kind? Okay, I have not. <clears throat> it's, uh, it is a type of worship. I'm sure there are people there that are... But my humble opinion, and that's all this is, uh, you know, I've been to one concert in my life, and that was a Metallica concert. I think I told you guys about it. It scared me to death. I was, I was dressed nice. I had nice slacks. I had a, a nice polo shirt on. And I was the only one dressed like that. No one else was dressed even close to that. I was clueless. I had no idea what this thing was. And uh, it's the last time I ever went to a concert because it freaked me out. <clears throat> that was a worship service, folks, let me tell you. They were worshiping, not God, but they were, they were fervent. They were passionate. And uh, so 
Maybe because of that, I think of a Christian concert, and you know, it's dark, and they got the smoke machines, and the flashing lights, and all that, and I, it's just not me. That's that's not me. Um, but there are people that, that go to those, and, and they feel the presence of God. Um, some expressions of worship are different from person to person. Some people really feel the, the, the Spirit of God, and they, they'll run the aisles, and they'll, they'll jump, and they'll, they'll, they'll dance. I've, I've never been like that. I have danced. I have jumped. Um, but it, it was always forced. It was, it was, I wasn't really worshiping. I, I never really felt the presence of God. But I could just stand in a corner and lift my hands and... and he comes all over me, and I weep and cry, and and I feel God. And it's it's for me that's worship. For other people, that wouldn't work. Um, so it can take different forms for different people. Reading God's word is that an act of worship? I think it is. Yeah, I think I think I think that is worship. Why is it worship? What makes that worship? What makes lifting my hands worship? What makes dancing in in the presence of the Lord worship? David was most certainly worshiping God when he was making a spectacle of himself. He wasn't doing it for his glory. He was doing it for God's glory. And so... What makes that worship? And someone else could have been doing that, and it wouldn't have been worship at all. Well, to define worship, Lord willing, we have a video that we'll play right now. When we praise God, we declare His attributes with our mouths and even engage our physical being through actions such as clapping our hands or lifting our hands. But worship is really a posture of the heart. When we worship, we're taking the attributes of God that we know about intellectually or we have spoken on our lips and we apply them to our heart in an intimate and deep way. The word worship is tied to the old English word worship. What is God worth to you? What is it that you are doing to secure his worth in your life? We can all declare out loud that God is a provider, but in the deepest places of our heart, do we position him as our provider? Or do we look to other resources to provide and ignore God's provision? We can declare out loud that God is good. But do we apply his goodness in our lives by posturing our hearts to trust and not question? Worship brings our emotions and our thinking in line. It allows us to submit to who God is. Worship is really the way that relationship with God is formed. Yes, it changes us on the deepest level. But do you know it's also the genuine desire of God? There's a scripture where God chastises his people for worshiping with their lips, but allowing their hearts to be far away. God doesn't just want mindless praise. If you look back at the very creation of man, God created Adam to walk with God in the garden. This relationship of God to man 
defined the entire story of humanity. When Adam broke that sacred relationship, God looked for other ways to establish relationship with his people. He even wrapped himself in flesh and came so that he might be Emmanuel, God with us. So worship is that vehicle to relationship with God. It's not only the choice that our hearts need to make, but it's God's greatest delight. Excellent definition. So according to... Oh, I've got a... Something going... Okay. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, worship is this. To regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. It's a little bit shorter definition than what we just heard. But we all know it's important. We all know that it's integral to our experience as a Christian, as a child of God, that we ought to worship. True worship begins with our understanding. Now, we talked more in depth about that in a previous lesson. That understanding comes, of course, from the revelation of who God is in Scripture. I can't worship something I have no idea or no clue about. If I don't have understanding, I don't have true worship. If I don't know who God is, if I don't understand from Scripture that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that God loves me, that God suffered on a cross and died for me, if all I understand of God is what I get from the late night talk show, do you think I'm going to be worshiping God? Of course not. I have an improper understanding of who God is. Therefore, I am not worshiping. I can't worship that kind of a God. But when I get into the Word of God, and I begin to understand truth, the truth of who God is, I can't help but worship. Something is created in me from that understanding. True worship involves our entire being, body, soul, and spirit, and true worship will satisfy completely. Sometimes our posture, our physical posture, becomes important. We kneel on our knees in prayer. The Bible says many times in Scripture they bowed their head and worshiped the Lord. Well, what does that have to do with anything? What does it matter what I'm doing as long as my heart is in it? Well, it seems to matter somewhat. Our physical posture. Some people will lay before the Lord in worship and in prayer. Matthew 15, 8, we heard this mentioned just a little bit ago. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So although physical posture may be important, we know that there's more to the picture. At the end of the day, what's going on in here is what matters. My heart needs to be involved. My spirit needs to be involved. When I'm praying, and 
I'm guilty of this. I have done this before. I've caught myself where the Lord has revealed it to me. I can be praying about something, saying words, but I'm thinking about what i got to get done that day. I'm thinking about, oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to take care of that. All the while, interceding for someone. Folks, my heart is not in it. My lips are doing the work. When I'm worshiping God, are we saying the words that are being projected while at the same time thinking about what i got to get done on Monday morning? That's not worship. That's rehearsing some words. Now, we did that a lot in the Lutheran church too. <clears throat> We got a little pamphlet every Sunday, and we knew what to say and when to say it. Was that worship? I think there was very little true worship going on at that point in time. I can tell you, me, zero. I was checking a box so I could get home, get changed into my play clothes, and head outside. This was the gate I had to get through, though, to get there. That was all it was for me. True worship is something a whole lot more meaningful, a whole lot deeper. And it will satisfy completely. When I'm in the presence of God and I am experiencing true worship, folks, there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than being in the presence of God. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. You know times in your life where you were not able to enter into the presence of God. Now you can. And it's true that as human beings, we can get used to absolutely anything. Everything can become mundane. doesn't matter how awesome it is. If we're there long enough, it becomes commonplace. And the presence of God can get that way too. I can go anytime I want. I'll just do it tomorrow. Don't let that happen. Don't let it become mundane. Don't let it become commonplace or profane in your life, the presence of God. Many will seek to fill this void with other things. This is a need that was created in us from the very beginning. This need to worship. We were created to worship. And we see that even in, in the most staunch atheist, the, the humanist, the secularist. They worship too. Just not God. They'll worship children, spouse, job, money, stuff, success, whatever it might be. Themselves. But everybody worships something. That's how we were created. And those things will never satisfy, church. I don't care how dedicated you are. I don't care how how committed you are, how much you sacrifice for these things. They will let you down. They will never fulfill you. (laughs) I think that's a cliche too. Only Jesus satisfies. But 
only Jesus satisfies. That's true. Many churches seek to fill this void with artificial trappings of worship, but they never enter into a true place of worship with God. And I fear there even some quote-unquote Pentecostal churches that are, that are doing this. There are churches in our movement that are moving closer and closer to the world. Farther and farther from, from biblical truth. And as they do that, I'm not saying that our organization is the only organization going to heaven. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is as we move farther from Scripture and closer to the world, Brother T.F. Tenney said this one time, these, uh, these churches, they, they, they build an organization, they build machinery, and they can keep this machinery running long after the oil is run dry. The oil that's important, though, the anointing, the presence of God, the Spirit of God in our services, in our lives, that's what's important. Not keeping the machine running. And they do that by lights and smoke machines and talent. Nothing wrong with talent, but if that's all you got, folks, that's not enough. I told you before, I, I mean it. I'd rather have no talent and a powerful anointing. It's nice to have both. But the anointing is what's important. That's what qualifies. I don't care how much talent you got. Ozzy Osbourne is a great singer. He's a better singer than I am anyway. Talent-wise. But there's no way I'd have him up here. I don't care what talent he's got. She has. If you don't have an anointing, you're not qualified. If we don't have an anointing in our lives, if we don't have the, the Spirit and presence of God in our worship, after this service, we're going to have a worship service. How we worship if we feel the presence of God, if the presence of God is present here, that's not predicated on God. It's predicated on you, on me. What I decide to put into the service is what I'm going to take out of the service. If I sit here with my arms crossed and, and I dare you to move me, chances are good you're not going to be moved. But if you're contributing, if you're seeking the presence of God, if you're striving to enter into His presence, undeterred, I'm going to touch the throne of grace here. You'll find Him. You'll feel Him. But it's our choice, like everything else. Our choice. How are we going to respond? Are we going to take the initiative? Are we going to enter into the presence of God? Are we going to seek His face? If we'll seek Him, He'll be found of us. 
He's placed the ball in our courts, though. He's done everything He needs to do, folks. And a whole lot more. It's okay for Him to expect a little something from us. That's quite okay. One of those things is we need to press forward. We need to press into the presence of God. We need to seek His face in worship. Amen. The worship of the shepherds. We see this account in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. We see in their lives that when the word of the Lord came to them through the angel, that they responded. They responded to that word with faith. They didn't just say, oh man, that's pretty cool, that's exciting. And then just stayed with the sheep. Didn't do anything. That's not how they responded. Yep, yep, that sounds right. I acknowledge that that's the truth. we got Christians today acknowledging that this is the truth. So-called Christians. But they don't do anything with it. The Bible exhorts us to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Our faith will be demonstrated by our actions. If we hear the Word of the Lord and we believe the Word of the Lord, it's going to result in some kind of action on my part. If I hear the Word of the Lord and don't believe it, I'm not going to do anything with it. The shepherds responded. They responded in faith. They received a revelation of Jesus Christ from the angel. That resulted in them leaving their flocks to see this baby. Now, if you know anything about shepherds, that's kind of a big deal. Leaving your flocks. That just wasn't done. That's their job. Defend the sheep. Protect the sheep. Make sure they're eating proper food. Keep, them, keep the wolves away. They left their flocks, though, to see this baby. We see examples of this all through Scripture. This idea that sometimes, in order to worship God properly, we have to leave some things behind. There are some things, folks, that we just have to leave behind us. When we get married, the Bible says that we leave father and mother, men, and will cleave unto our wives. When we enter into a covenant with that woman, we've got to leave some things behind to honor that covenant now. When God started speaking with Abram, one of the first things He told him is, leave the land of your nativity, leave Ur of the Chaldees, leave your family behind, and go to the place that I will tell thee of. Abraham was called to leave, to leave things behind. The Bible says in Hebrews that Moses forsook Egypt. He left all of that behind. He had a pretty good gig. He had a good thing going on in Egypt. He left it all behind. 
We read the account of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And the, the book talks about this. He was doing everything right. I'm doing that. These things have I kept from my youth. Do this, do this, do this. I'm doing that. What else? What, what, what do I have left yet? Just one thing. Give all your money away. And follow me. Leave it behind. Let it go. There's something far greater here than money. He could not do that. And that's the last we ever hear of the rich young ruler. I can only imagine that if he would have said yes, would we have heard more of this young man? When God asks us of something, when He asks us to let go of something, to move past something, to leave it behind, our act of worship to God is saying yes to Him and walking away from it, letting it go, leave it behind. The shepherds made haste to get to where the baby was. They didn't delay it. They weren't discussing it. They weren't making alternative plans. Well, what if this? Well, what if that? We don't read any of that. It says they made haste to get to where the baby was. Their minds were made up. They had made a commitment to God. They committed themselves to this, this course of action. And once that commitment was, it was made, they went forward in it. Nothing is going to happen in our lives, folks, secular or spiritual, until we learn how to make commitments and honor the commitments. We just can't move forward anywhere without being able to do that. When I sign on to a place and I, I choose to accept money from them in exchange for hours of my life, I'm making a commitment to them. I'm going to show up to work. I'm going to do the job you hired me to do. I'm going to show up on time to work. I'm going to stay until my shift is done. While I'm there, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And in exchange, I'm taking a paycheck from you. I'm committing myself to that. If I don't honor that commitment, I shouldn't be too surprised when I don't have a place there anymore. I keep showing up to work late. I don't call in. Just kind of show up when I want, do what I want, when I want. That's not honoring the commitment. I say I, I made a commitment, but my actions say something else. When I commit myself to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, my actions are going to demonstrate that. I've made a commitment to this covenant relationship with God. Now I need to honor that commitment. We see Abraham's commitment to honor God. When, when God tested Abraham, told him to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac, 
Again, in Abraham's life, we don't see any arguing, no debating, no delays. It says he arose early in the morning and got about that business. There was no delay in serving the Lord his God. He rose up early. He responded with faith. Obedience, but also faith. That something was going to happen here. Isaac is going to be okay. There were no excuses to stay and every reason to seek the baby. A lot of Christians, they'll want to make excuses why they can't come to church. Why they can't come to prayer. Why they can't serve Jesus Christ. Why they can't make these commitments. All I'm saying is why can't we make excuses for the opposite? Why can't I find an excuse to come to church? To come to prayer? To serve Jesus Christ? There's nothing wrong with that. Find a reason to do it. We're very adept at finding reasons not to. Let's find a reason to do it. Let's find a reason to make that commitment. Let's find a reason to move forward in God. It's just as easy to find those reasons as it is the other. Amen. Let's find reasons to serve Jesus. Let's find reasons to worship Him. To move forward in Him. To demonstrate our faith with our actions and with our commitments to Him. They left glorifying and praising God. After they saw Jesus, after they worshipped at the manger, they left with no regrets. They were glorifying and praising God. They didn't regret that they'd left the sheep. They didn't regret that they'd trusted what the angel had said. And God honored their faithful obedience. Sometimes worship involves leaving things behind. The worship of the wise men. We see this in in, uh, the first part of Matthew chapter 2. Now as the book states, uh, you've probably heard before, the Bible doesn't list three wise men. It doesn't list any number at all. Uh, It just lists three gifts. So the assumption is three wise men, but it doesn't give a number. Uh, it could have been twelve. could have been two. We don't know. They received a revelation of the coming Messiah. To the shepherds, the angel came to them directly with good tidings of great joy. To the magi, God revealed to them a sign in the heavens... And they also read the sure word of Micah's prophecy about someone coming out of Bethlehem, Ephrata. Ephrata? To each, to each group, God spoke in a manner that would best be received. And isn't that awesome about God? He doesn't communicate with people in just one way. He can communicate to us however He wants to. A sign in the heavens, the Word of God, the preacher, your next door neighbor, in prayer, a dream, any number of other reasons or, or, or avenues 
He can communicate with us. He'll communicate with us in the manner that it'll best be received. It was a long, arduous journey for them to arrive at where Jesus was. The book mentions this as well. They arrived at their house, not the manger, as the shepherds had. It really could have been up to two years later, after the birth of Jesus, that the Magi finally appeared. Now this brings up to me an interesting point or question. If we're going to wait two years to meet this Jesus anyway, why don't we wait a little bit longer? There's no rush. I mean, two years, there's no rush. Let's get things together. Let's, let's take some more time. What's the rush? We can meet Him when we meet Him. But that wasn't the response of the Magi, was it? They didn't regard the distance. They didn't regard the hardship of the journey because they had a passionate, fervent desire to meet this king. They were going to leave right now. When they got to Herod's place, they inquired, Where is this king? And it's interesting too, the question assumes he's here. That was not the question. They knew he was there. That was never in doubt. They didn't ask, is he here? Was he born? They already knew that. They just wanted to know where he was. I find that fascinating. Those who know something of Jesus are going to hunger to know more of him. The closer relationship with God you have, the more relationship you're going to want to have. The more you know about God, the more you're going to want to know about Him. That's how this works. As they say, to know Him is to love Him. That's literally true here. If you know Jesus like I do, like you do, you want to know more. And you will commit the time and the energy to strive forward, to move forward, to learn more, to dig into Scripture, to pray, so that you can get to know this Messiah. We read in Scripture that they brought Jesus very costly gifts of worship. Second Samuel 24, 24 says this, The king said unto Arunaha, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. This is a very important point. And we know it, we understand it. And yet, when it comes time for us to give in worship, we struggle with that from time to time. Especially when everyone else seems to be just basking in the presence of God. And I'm trying to worship and I feel nothing. It's dead right here. 
We've all been there. Sometimes I have to spend a little bit of time. Maybe I got something in here that needs to come out. Maybe maybe God's trying to do something with me first. Or maybe God's just testing me to see if I'm worshiping him for the loaves and the fishes or am I worshiping him because he's worthy. We're not always going to feel the presence of God, at least not immediately. You know, there are times when I go into prayer, I can hardly wait to get upstairs to my prayer area. I'm already feeling the presence of God. And there are sometimes I got to spend 45 minutes to an hour just to get to a place where I can really pray. Sometimes it's a lot of work. Sometimes I have to give something. And so do you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Keep pressing in. Keep doing what you need to do. If I have to give something in worship, that's okay. I'm always receiving. I'm always receiving from God. He's always blessing me. He's always pouring something into me. That's never in question. Not once. But then when I'm called to, to, to give a little bit, then I get all, all hurt. We need to be comfortable with that, church. We need, we need to get comfortable when God asks something of us. I will offer unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. A lot of times, worship does cost us literally nothing. We just come in and there's the presence of God. And He just blesses us. When it does cost us something, sometimes we can start questioning and start doubting. Don't question. Don't doubt. Just press forward. All right. It's time to offer. It's time to offer a sacrifice of praise. Praise God. That's a good thing. Sometimes worship involves sacrifice and personal cost. Sometimes it does. Not all the time, but sometimes it does. And that's okay. He's worth it. He's worthy of it. Like I said, He's constantly pouring into our lives. Every one of us woke up this morning breathing air, moving around, Taking that for granted. I hope not. There are those that do. We need to be thankful for that. In the book we read this. When we come to Jesus, we leave sin and worldliness behind. We bid farewell to sinful habits and addictions. These actions show us and Jesus that we love Him and desire to please Him. This is worship. We worship with the shepherds when we leave our sinful past behind us and submit to His will for our lives. 
We worship with the wise men when we bring Him gifts of faith and obedience, showing we trust Him and submit our lives to Him. All our desires, hopes, and dreams are now in His hands. I can't think of better hands for them to be in. If you know God like He's revealed to us in Scripture, that's the best place for our, our everything to be. Is in His hands. He's infinitely powerful, infinitely wise. Robertson McCulkin, I can't remember if this was in the book or not, or somewhere else. I think it was in the book, but I'm going to read this because I think it's, I think it's good. Former president of Columbia International and University of Columbia, South Carolina, shares his testimony. And I quote, Life was heavy on me. My dearest friend and intimate companion, my delightful wife Muriel, was slipping away, one painful loss at a time, as Alzheimer's disease ravaged her brain. Just as the full impact of what was happening to us hit home, the life of Bob, our eldest son, was snuffed out in a diving accident. Two years later, to care for Muriel, I left my life, life's work at its peak. I was numb, not bitter, let alone angry. Why should I be? That's the way life is, life in a broken world. But the passion in my love for God had evaporated, leaving a residue of resignation where once had been vibrant faith. I knew that I was in deep trouble, and I did the only thing I knew to do. I went away to a mountain hideaway for prayer and fasting. It took about 24 hours to shake free of preoccupation with my own wounds and to focus on the excellencies of God. As I did, slowly love began to be rekindled, and with love came joy. I wrote God a love letter, naming 41 of His marvelous gifts to me, spotlighting 11 of His grandest acts in history, and exulting in 10 of His characteristics that exceed my imagination. Surely He enjoyed my gratitude. Who doesn't appreciate gratitude? But I discovered something else. Something happened to me. I call it the reflex action of thanksgiving. My love flamed up from the dying embers and my spirit soared. I discovered that ingratitude impoverishes, but that a heavy heart lifts on the wings of praise. Amen. We never... We never want to minimize or trivialize anything that anyone goes through. People go through horrific circumstances and situations in their lives. For sure. But even in the most horrific circumstance, God is our answer. He's always the answer. And you don't want to you don't want to present it like, well, just let go and let God. Leave it at the altar. I mean, really? Let's be a little bit more sensitive than that. <clears throat> People are going through real situations. And they don't, they don't need a, a, a dime store theologian to come along and tell them to let go and let God. What they need is ministry. They need to know where to find an answer. Jesus is the answer. 
This is how we access that. Thanksgiving, worship, praise, prayer. Getting into the presence of God and letting Him heal me. Letting Him take those things out of me. Letting Him rekindle something that maybe I once had but isn't there now. God can heal that too. He wants to heal that too. If your prayer life, if your time in worship, if your relationship with God isn't everything that you thought it would be or should be, you're probably right. God wants more. He wants to share more. He wants to be closer to you. Let Him do that. Let Him get into our lives. Sometimes we're like the wise men who bring something magnificent to Jesus. Sometimes we're like the shepherds who leave behind something to come to Jesus. Either way, let us choose to come to Him every day and worship Him with all of our hearts. That's the reason we were created, is to worship God, to have a relationship with Him, first and foremost. He wants to do miraculous things through our lives. He wants to demonstrate Himself powerfully and mightily through us to this world. All of that is absolutely true, but first and foremost, He just wants a relationship with you. Every day, He wants you to come to Him in prayer. He's waiting. He loves you. He never gets tired. He never gets weary. We do from time to time. But He never does. He wants us to come to Him with everything. Amen. So let's do that. Let's purpose in our hearts. Let's make a commitment from this point forward that we are going to build a relationship with Him. When it comes time to worship, when it comes time to pray, I'm going to press forward. If I don't feel Him right away, that's okay. He's there. The Bible tells me He's as close as the mention of His name. I know He's here. I just don't feel Him right now. And that's fine. I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep moving forward. Maybe I'll feel Him later. Maybe I never will. But that's okay. Because that's not why I'm worshiping Him. I'm not worshiping Him for a Pentecostal fix. I'm worshiping Him because He's worthy. Because He's done so much in my life. And I delight to do so. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, You're an amazing, awesome, wondrous God. We do delight ourselves in You this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight to worship You, to praise You, to enter into Your presence with thanksgiving, to sing hymns of praise unto the Almighty. We delight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as the service progresses, You would continue to enact Your perfect will in our lives and in this service. That all of your heart would be manifest, that your name would be glorified. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.